Hello, this is Melissa, and it is the 5th of February, 2023. And this week for the Redux, we are going to give you the second hour of what we played last week, and that is from April 12, 2020. The talk was Making Hay from the Dead, A Shameless Sacrifice, Old Agenda Presented New, Freshly Painted Lies. Just going over this talk last week, which was just under three hours, and that was actually in 2020, that was one of the shorter talks, because as the year went on, Alan's talks grew in length until, as you know, the few of them were over five hours. And he said, well, you can always, you know, play an hour every day. You don't have to listen to it at one sitting. But I have been trying with these Redux to bring you smaller talks, tie them back to the times, the news that we are being fed right now. And I have done that with this talk. One thing that I was struck by last week when I was looking for what would go up. This was April 12, 2020, and Alan was already talking about Event 201, lockstep. He was showing how this was all going according to plan. And I had commented, I said, goodness, you know, I was on the website and I was trying to see when was the first time that Alan was talking about the coronavirus. And that was the end of January, 2020. And then the the first week of February in 2020, he was also covering it, although still it wasn't totally dominating everything that he was talking about at that point. But one of the things that I was struck by was that already there in January and February of 2020, the news articles in the mainstream were covering two really important key points. The first was that the hope for dealing with this crisis, this pandemic, was a vaccine. There wasn't, there wasn't really talk about cures or available existing drugs that might help it or protocols or vitamins, or none, none of that. And the second feature that I noticed at that early date was that there was already a lot of coverage in late January and early February about uh, misinformation, People in social media, even doctors and health personnel giving out misinformation. And I mentioned this to a friend and he said, well, of course, because they were going according to plan. They were, they'd already had event 201. They'd had the, um, Rockefeller future scenarios that included the future scenario called lockstep, which we've heard of. And that was, um, then this friend also mentioned to me the SPARS pandemic exercise, a futuristic scenario to facilitate medical countermeasure communication. So this, this scenario was SPARS pandemic 2025 to 2028. And he mentioned that this was in Robert F. Kennedy Jr.'s book. He said, you know, that, that book, by the way, is nearly a thousand pages, but he said the last two chapters are really particularly good in that they do go through all of these tabletop exercises. And I know that we have put that Alan mentioned repeatedly some of these exercises, in particular Event 201 and Lockstep, 
and I'll put some of this up again, but I did want to just mention a couple of things that I saw in looking at these again. In the SPARS, they talked about vaccine injury. And an interesting thing here, I think this one was from 2017, but they talked about how people in the social media world would be making claims with VAERS, the vaccine injury reporting system that that weren't true, but that this would be mitigated in part by the fund that had already been set up to deal with any kind of vaccine injury. In other words, the government paying people who had been injured. And it's an, it's interesting that they didn't go with this particular uh, tabletop exercise future scenario because clearly there aren't, there, there, you know, not only were the pharmaceutical companies um, indemnified, they were, they are not responsible for any kind of fallout from these experimental gene therapies that have been pushed on us. But um, there, I mean, as we all know, there's just no acknowledgement that, that, that anything injurious is resulting from these. But in looking at another one of these exercises, the um, Rockefeller Foundation's Locks, that lockstep came out of, and I believe that that uh, the title of that, if I can get to it, was Scenarios for the Future of Technology and International Development. So that's the focus here. It's less, this is less about a pandemic exercise than what does the world look like in the future and in locks, you know, they did mention pandemics because that was one of the ways in which a future scenario unfolded. But a lot of people, Alan included, have talked about lockstep. And lockstep was one of the four scenarios that they offered up here. And that was an increasingly authoritarian world governance system basically taking us back to the stone age or the you know the dark ages technologically and we may or may not see that unfold we are certainly seeing the increasing authoritarianism but what struck me was one of the exercises that i had not read because i did not read this entire document but one of the future scenarios, in addition to lockstep, there was one called Clever Together, and that was really quite utopian, as you can imagine, and Smart Scramble. But the one that caught my eye was Hack Attack. And Hack Attack showed an economically unstable and shock-prone world in which governments weaken, criminals thrive, and dangerous innovations emerge. And this one, I'm going to post up this document so that you can read Hack Attack for yourself. But I think with the speed in which we're seeing a lot of things unfold, the uh, universal basic income that people continue to talk about and the central bank digital currencies, the CBDCs, Artificial intelligence, AI, AI, AI is a drumbeat that we're hearing more and more all the time. Deep fakes. And I think we are reaching a point now. I, I mean, 
I'm getting a lot of things in my inbox in last week about Damar Hamlin and that what we're, you know, who we're seeing is not Damar Hamlin, but it's a deep fake or possibly a clone. And I am not saying that these things aren't possible. But what I am saying is because we're living in a time in which the technology is moving so quickly that we are reaching a point where these innovations that are emerging are going to increasingly be shown to be dangerous. And I don't say that in a Luddite way, but when we are not able to believe our own eyes, when we have to doubt everything that is presented to us, and I think we are there, that is dangerous. It's dangerous to us individually. It's, it's dangerous to our psyches when we cannot trust anything that we are told, anything that we read, anything that we see. And I, I mean, I, I, somebody sent me something from an, a TED talk. I don't know how many years ago it was, but they were showing four little video clips of Obama. And they said, which one of these clips is a deep fake? And they played them all and they all looked very convincing. Uh, you, I, I studied them and I'm like, oh, okay, well, maybe, maybe that's the real one. But he didn't give anyone in the audience a chance to say what was real. He said, all of these are deep fakes. And so that's the, that is part of the time that we are living in. Another thing that I wanted to highlight for you about technology, I was sent an, an interview, someone's podcast, um, two investment advisors were speaking with one another. And I don't invest anything except my time, energy, and devotion to the work of Alan Watt. But these two men were speaking matter-of-factly about CBDCs and how this whole new system is going to unroll, and when it does, it will be very quickly. And currency that you know, the currency that fuels our economies now, will just basically disappear overnight at that time. And they're speaking about what your investment strategy can be around this. But there's no doubt in these two veteran investors' minds that this is coming, and it will be on us quickly. And some of the things that they discuss matter-of-factly are things that you heard Alan talk about a lot, and that is how a central bank digital currency, how a digital currency will be part of social control. They even posited, oh, well, maybe you'll get X amount of credits in one month, but if you, you know, don't do something right, you know, you... These can be withheld from you if you don't spend them all, you can't save them. And, you know, so here we are. And looking, because in this talk, Alan was talking about wartime scenarios and he was talking about austerity. And I noticed that uh, the WEF, which, which met not too long ago in Davos, Switzerland, um, put out this news release about a week ago, and it said Universal Digital Payments Network, that's the UDPN, 
is launched to support seamless digital payments across multiple central bank digital currencies and regulated stablecoins. Launched at Davos during the World Economic Forum Week, the Universal Digital Payments Network, the UDPN, is a DLT-underpinned messaging backbone focused on providing interoperability between the fast-growing number of different regulated stablecoins and CBDCs and seamless connectivity between any business IT system and regulated digital currencies. At the Davos launch event, representatives from leading global financial institutions, Deutsche Bank, HSBC, Standard Chartered, the Bank of East Asia, and ACBank discussed the rapidly evolving world of digital currency, the importance of interoperability, and the need for an infrastructure to support these developments. So I'll put that one up for you. And also I noticed there were a few of these types of stories coming out of Davos, but one in particular I'll share Montenegro's central bank teams up with Ripple on digital currency pilot project. Montenegro's prime minister announced a central bank digital currency or stablecoin project with Ripple. The Balkan country currently uses the euro instead of its own national currency. And this will be a testbed because what the article goes on to say is that Montenegro does not have its own currency, and they have been, they're not a member of the EU, um, or at least they were not a member of the EU. Yeah, it says right here, Montenegro is neither part of the Eurozone nor a European EU member. They applied for EU membership in 2008, but evidently they're not members. They have their, no currency of their own except for the EU, and so they it says here in this article, the Montenegrin government has been angling for a place in the cryptocurrency industry for months. So they're working with this company called Ripple. And it says Ripple Advisor promised new activity on CBDC deals last year. Um, mentioning Bhutan and Palau specifically among several pilot um, projects that they have in progress. So I guess Montenegro is going to be another one of their pilot projects. So I think that some of these things are coming upon us so quickly and the world as we know it will be changing so quickly that one thing that I find that I'm trying to do on a regular, almost like a near daily basis is to just keep taking a step back from the news as it's presented to us and go, now, wait a minute, as interesting as it would be for me to listen to these four doctors talk about the latest findings um, in vaccine injury or how they think that this may or may not work with 5G technology, I just have to, A, keep looking way back, particularly into the talks of Alan as he's laid out the bigger agenda, and I have to keep looking at other things that we are not necessarily being steered to look at because the, those may very well be the things that we are supposed to pay attention to. A couple of other things that I will highlight for you. Alan mentioned in this talk that the co-president of the um, Club of Rome and that's a big think tank, uh, sustainability. They brought us limits to growth, and we've mentioned this recently in the um, 
a book, which I don't have in front of me the title of it, but uh, recently mentioned, Jorgen Randers. Uh, he is a member of the Club of Rome, and he wrote a book that came out a little over a decade ago, I think, um, 2012. The book was entitled 2052, A Global Forecast for the Next 40 Years. And a, a couple of the quotes that um, that we have shared with you recently out of that book have to do with how quickly medical advances. Now, that doesn't necessarily mean things that are going to be available to us because he says in this book, things will actually advance at a pace that far, that far, far outpaces the ability for the common person to pay for any of these technologies the other thing that he talked about in several places was austerity. So that time, I'm, I'm, it's very clear to me, is, is upon us, the austere times. He mentioned this woman who is the co-president of the Club of Rome and a little video that she had made, a little talk. Alan linked that video, and I'm going to link it again because it's worth you hearing just how excited she is. She's just incredibly, incredibly excited at um, how quickly uh, things are moving and how this pandemic is allowing all of these changes that the Club of Rome has long really wanted, pushed, promoted since 1972 in the limits of growth. And here is this woman, Sandrine Dixon Dicklev, talking about them. And I think you'll find that very interesting. And then another article that Alan linked to uh, in 2020 was called A Green Reboot After the Pandemic. And I, I just want to remind you, because I think it's good to be reminded of certain things, that when this uh, gentleman was talking, when this was published on the Club of Rome website, and he is saying the COVID-19 coronavirus has forced entire countries into lockdown mode, terrified citizens created a financial market meltdown. It's got to have an immediate response, et cetera, et cetera. But governments must also look to the long term. And one prominent policy blueprint with a deep time horizon is the European Commission's European Green Deal, which offers several ways to support the communities and businesses most at risk from the current crisis. Well, we know with how many small businesses were put under, were put out of business during the lockdown and the initial stages of this COVID exercise, that they did, they cared nothing for at-risk businesses. That what we are watching, what we have watched unfold, is just their new system going into play. So I think that I have spoken enough. I'm going to uh, let you look at some of the things that I wanted to highlight. I'm going to play about an hour, maybe a little bit less, of this talk from Alan and. I also wanted to point out, though, one other thing. There's a place on the very front page of the website, cuttingthroughthematrix.com, right at the very top of the page in the upper right-hand corner. 
And for years, I would upload to the website and, you know, you read something and you read it one or two or three times and then years go by and you really don't look at it anymore. It's just, it's words on a page. But one time, a few years ago, I was just sitting kind of staring at the website and I said to Alan, you know, basically everything that you need to know is in that little paragraph at the top of the website. And he just kind of smiled at, you know, my little proclamation. But what it says is, in all ages, in all lands, there have been those who seek truth. This seeking is an individual search for something more than self and much more than the confines of this worldly system. It is the seeker who understands there is more than what meets the eye, who is not afraid and makes the choice to go into the unknown. The process of awaking has begun. The discovery is underway. And it says there, Alan Watt dash, A Course in Deprogramming. And I've gotten emails from folks before who said, how, how can I buy Alan Watt's course in deprogramming? I'm curious to learn more about that. And so I just, I want to let you know that there is no such product as a course in deprogramming by Alan Watt. The course in deprogramming is everything that he shared with us for many years. And there are thousands of talks on the website that you can take advantage of. I mean, of course, naturally, the course of deprogramming, the course in deprogramming would include the books that he has written that are for sale. And so there's that element to it. But the course is your willingness to look beyond what we are given. It is your journey to question everything. And I think now more than ever, we all have to do that because this technology that is being unleashed on us, this hack attack, unfortunately, all of this wonderful technology, if you want to call it wonderful, is in the hands of very dark forces. So it is at the point where you can't trust your lying eyes. And that's why, that's why it's just so important to observe for yourself what you can see for yourself and not get sucked into the endless, endless vortexes that are supplied for you on the internet and in social media because that way lies insanity. And without further ado, here is Alan. Thank you. Some of the big stations were using clips, showing you how bad it was in New York, but actually using the, the videos from Italy. That, that was the height of, of, of disgust. And, and how low can you stoop to? There's no... And there's a big agenda here, folks, to convince you of something. Because everything now, everything is riding. Everything is riding on this being pro prolonged as long as possible. I think it gets stretched into next year, it's permanently here. And they've already said that too. And the money, again, the, the back, the, when we bailed out the banks the last time and all the crooks the last time, it was a planned bailout, you see, before all hand. Same thing again, eh? Do you really think you're going to go back to some kind of normal after this? I know the dollar in Canada 
lost a good 40, almost 50% buying power. Yet you need twice as many of the, of the money to, to, to buy the same things, maybe even more at times for different things. Well, guess we're going to have left after this one. Look, look at the, the shark frenzy as billions and trillions are tossed around, eh? And you'll never recover that lot. There's no even a chicken whisk where it's even going. You know that, don't you? Just like Halliburton. I remember giving the talks on Halliburton when they went into, into Iraq. And, and, and the guys are fully building roads now for the, for the military and, and, and restructuring the, the peasants' places that they'd bombed in the Stone Age and stuff like that. Big joke. And Halliburton's like a big massive holding company of massive, uh, Conglomerate of all different subcontractors galore, and and of course the money's all scammed and creamed off the top level by level until the guys at the bottom don't get as much of it. However, it was so incredibly bad. You you actually saw them. There was a video made of these big transports coming in and landing every every day for about a week or two weeks. Crates of freshly printed dollars from the U.S. Treasury. Astonishing, eh? And then they even showed you the guys who managed it. They took it into a, a, a dugout underground, uh, not too big either, not a bit 12 by 12 or something, or not maybe 20 by 12. And that's where they kept the cash. And folk just came in with bags and they would stuff it in. There was no receipts, nothing. It was the biggest free-for-all ever. You, you can't believe it. I mean, government, see, don't forget the biggest folk crooks are governments. When you, when you find where they've got investments in and they put their own children into big positions across the world and they're scamming millions from other countries through grants and stuff and yada, yada, yada. So when they pass laws during emergencies, all oh, the billions just fly into, into black holes, you know. Yeah. Never to be seen again. <laughs> it's just amazing, really, yeah. And all the big hands are out now for the for the, the loot. This is the looting time. And you're left with what the bill, eh? And the chaos. And do you know how many people have probably died because they can't get into hospitals now? For other things? They can't get treatments for their cancers and their operations and hmm? Whatever it takes, whatever it takes. Now, before I go any further, yeah, there's something out there. There's no doubt about it. There's something out there. But it, it's, and it's killing people. No doubt about it. And it's been used for a big, big agenda. No doubt about that at all. But it's nowhere near as lethal in, in the numbers as is predicted. Like millions and millions are going to die, remember. Fauci was saying the same thing. If you don't follow his, because he's part of the same group that Bill Gates, and I hope you understand they have some business arrangements as well. <laughs> everybody's, everybody's connected, aren't they? But uh, if you look at the hype and the hype and the hype of where they, where they said it could happen, it all could happen, according to computer models, you understand. It's such a farce. Millions and millions of folks said, and other ones said, we're going to die. Millions will die. And they terrified the public with weeks of this stuff. Ah, you're all going to die. You're all going to die. 
And they don't give you a God to pray to, they give you white coats to pray to. You see, that's a substitute today. Eh? I said last week, you can take people out of religion, we can't take religion out of the people. They're still looking for it somewhere else. When they supply it to you, here's these experts. Look at, this guy's obviously an expert. He's a multi-billionaire, don't you know? Hmm. Wow. You do what he tells you. He waves his hands a lot. And has a little smirk on his face each time he talks. Just believe him. Do what he tells you. But Fauci, another one, with the, with the dead pan face, he also has a little smirk once in a while. He said in an article, I'll put it up too, by the way, he said offhandedly, to, and it's a medical, it's in a medical magazine, a virology magazine, he said, he says, well, it might be no more than, you know, than just uh, the same, he's talking about the casualties, like, like a, a seasonal flu. Then about half an hour later, he goes on the television and tells you, they say, oh, there's thousands and thousands and thousands and maybe even bigger and that's going to die. There's a huge drama getting played out right now. I hope you understand it. And unfortunately, people are suffering all right. They definitely are suffering because even a lot of the treatments they could give the people who have end up in the hospital with not just that, but with things very similar to all the same conditions, actually, or very similar conditions. They're not getting the treatments they're supposed to get. And then they've, all, they've got the bioethicists out, they're training them too, and training you. Well, you see, we have to decide who should live and die. And getting the public used to that idea. Well, they're old, you know. Do you realize, do you realize up until this COVID thing hit with this massive mass, folk have died every year from flus. That's normal. It seems to be normal. Uh, the winter is bad enough, but, but winter takes away a lot of people in colder climates especially. But we have something in our nature. We don't like to dwell on the fact that we, we personally could die. If you, if you did think like that, you'd, you'd commit suicide. You wouldn't wait for it happening. You'd be so depressed. And they have terms for it and names for all uh, about uh, that particular uh, mechanism that allows you to continue and ignore the fact that you're mortal. It's true, but we all think, especially young folk, I mean, we've all been there. You're never going to die. It just does that. It might happen to other people, but it never happened to you, obviously. You tend to deny it, you see. Most, unless you're working in the fields and you'll see these annual flus go, sometimes 50 odd thousand will go over a bad flu season, sometimes way more than that, actually, within one country. That's regarded as quite normal, actually. With or without the vaccines, doesn't make any difference, it seems, as far as the deaths go. And they generally hit initially. I can remember reading the articles on the air from the, from different authorities years ago, where they'd look at, in Canada, for as an example, in the States, often the folk would get hit first in the, the, the elderly homes, folks, homes for the elderly. Uh, caretaker homes type of thing that we'd looked after. And so they're frail to begin with, but the, the big puzzle was why would they break out in these places? And so they said it must be brought in by the people from outside, visiting them. And that's plausible and probably partly true as well. Not all the time though. But then they did tracers and they did experiments in some of these homes where they were, and they found out that somehow or another a lot of them were just breaking out in the homes. And getting carried out in the community by folks who would visit and pick it up there and carry it into the community. There's other way around, you see. And then they would go into, well, why would they start there? Well, certain things happen in these homes, you know, mandated things. 
that might be behind it. And you can't say anything about it today because you're under martial law, you understand. And you better get serious this martial law thing because honestly, uh, they can do terrible things under, under wartime scenarios and lock folk up just for having an opinion about something. You're not allowed opinions anymore, you see. Uh, it's called progress and austerity and all that. So it was the same thing too with it breaking out in Canada. I really did check and I put one article up, awfully good one, I told you about British Columbia. But most folk can't read between the lines, because a lot of things tell you things between the lines, of what groups were actually getting it. And the fact that a lot of them came from a different country, and the relatives came back from the countries that were infected back and forth, back and forth, all through it too. British Columbia is a big, a big, um, multinational area, put it that way. And it's very traceable that way. You could tell what was happening. But, but, but then it really added to the numbers of, of folk infected and folk who died with it too. But they had great success as well. Where they even had 91 year old women surviving after getting it in British Columbia, which again negated the fact that, that it was death for everybody over the age of 60, pretty well, you see. But the hype and hype and hype, they've made hay over this incredible hype and terror because the agenda is totally, it's just completely unfurled, right? Here's the real agenda here. We couldn't get it all through the climate change thing and sustainability and sustainable development goals, etc., etc., and you wouldn't stop breeding. And you, and you wouldn't stop consuming things and, and, and you wouldn't go into a, a post-consumerist society and you're post-industrial, but you wouldn't go into a post-consumer and start eating the crickets and all that and the insects. So we're going to make you go into it through saving you all, by terrorizing you all, by getting into such debt that you'll never get out of it. And, and whatever you, you, you manage to make for an income in the future is going to be peanuts. And you probably live on peanuts. You may be lucky if you can get some peanuts under a martial law type system. Personally, I'd rather they just they just got rid of the politicians, just move them out the way, pay them off, you know, and and just have the, the totalitarians that are managing us all, the technocrats running us, because then you know who's doing it. Instead of going through the the pretense that the politicians are there to help you, because they're not helping us at all, are they? And they won't listen to the public at all, which proves there's no democracy. Quite amazing, right? I, I listened to a little clip of a, a talk given by a, an ex-deputy prime minister of Australia. Uh, and he's talking to Peter Hitchens. Uh, it was interesting. The man seemed genuine enough. He didn't seem, again, you know, you can be misled too, because a lot of politicians are psychopathic. They'd be awfully pleasant. But the, the man, uh, he's listening to this. He's, he's, he's agreeing that this, this martial law scenario is getting ridiculous. And he's agreeing that it'd be bad for the country and all that. But as soon as he said that he was a true believer in free trade, I, I, my, the penny dropped immediately for me. I mean, my alarm system went off, like the Council on Foreign Relations type group, the, the club, you know, that they always put their own members into government. And uh, the Royal Institute for International Affairs, the British company, or the British um, group, that's the grandparent in them all, uh, and the boss of them all, actually. They make sure that these people are appointed into governments to make sure that the free trade agreements are done. The same free trade agreements, they made sure that you can't even make anything in your own country, even you save your own lives. You can't even make swabs or gauze bandages, you know, 
never mind face masks or, or medical equipment. That's what happens when you become interdependent, meaning totally dependent on some outsider. And the same politicians signed all the deals for integration. So it's, uh, that, that's really what free trade's all about. Nobody forced the countries into signing. Every politician in every Western country and in the Eastern countries signed on with glee against the wishes of the public. But we never learn, do we? Well, we're democratic, you know. We've got rights, you know? We're trained and trained and trained always for what's to come. The biggest training mechanism is indoctrination at school for sustainability and that all parents are bad and that consumerism is bad. And now you've got uh, Antifa groups that are all paid again. The leaders are all paid awfully well. They, they have lifetime salaries and pension funds for them. And the followers are all just angry little youngsters that have been trained to be angry about everything. And, uh, and they're little armies, you see. I'll put up another little clip tonight of a woman who is uh, the head at the moment, the president of, of the big, a big group at the Council of the Club of Rome. And how she's with glee again praising this wonderful COVID thing for giving them the opportunity to push forward with the, with their global warming and sustainability climate goals and so on. They have to come out of it. She's just, oh, just having had almost orgasms, I suppose. With, with the money that'll be flowing. She doesn't mention the money, but you can tell that she, she likes it. They do like money at the top. The people, the people who are the biggest altruistic people in the planet, they're there to help you love money. They love, the communist hierarchy, even Lenin loved money, you know that, eh? I hope you understand that. But, uh, you know, this woman praises Antifa and, and, uh, an extinction rebellion group, eh? The other created group by the same. They're all connected, these groups, and they'll get money from the same sources. And they're all trained from the same sources. Your tax money helps a lot to train them, to train them too, to be rebels. Folk don't know how the world really, really is run. They really don't know. They don't know. There's not, there's nothing out there that's, that's not organized from those who own all the other groups at the top. There's nothing out there that's from the grassroots. If you're from the grassroots, you might be approached to join one that's pre-existing, you see, that's authorized. But if you don't agree, you, you'll get flattened, you, you'll get cut off or defamed or something, but you'll fall flat. You won't, you, you're, you're done for. That's how controlled the system is. I can remember years ago, occasionally you, you would get asked to sing at dues, you know, these dues for charities and that. And also, uh, I, and a couple of them I accepted. Without knowing that the, the, all the top communists on the planet were going to go there, all authorized by your government. And, and most of the folk who organized it all, all worked for government. They were civil servants in Canada. I met lots of them. And, and but I, I also popped into a place once I heard them singing. And it was in Toronto. And uh, it was interesting because, because uh, someone says, do you play? I says, yeah, a little bit. I says, you don't know, you say too much. But... Um, I saw a couple of songs and they liked it. But a woman came up and says, do you know anything really revolutionary? And I says, well, what do you mean revolutionary? You know, against the establishment. Well, that's, that, this, this place where they, where they had coffee and cakes and all the rest of it, and some of the other ones in, in the Toronto sold beer, that licenses, were funded by the government to set up left-wing systems to protest the government. 
do you understand? You're starting to catch on here how it works. Am I in the right place at the right time? You, you won't have the learning experiences. But that's how things really are. There's nothing at the bottom. I don't care what it is. That, that is not uh, agreed upon from the very, very top. Years ago, I gave talks as well about the the fashions. And you can way back in the past, and you see, oh my God, look at Benjamin Franklin's day. Most guys wore wigs, and they had silk stockings. You know? And you see the pictures too, the, the, the paintings, for instance, of King James in Scotland, you know. And, and uh, he, he had a name for himself for other things, King James. But, but he, 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 had to, he always had his, 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 one of his legs really pushing. He liked, he liked his thighs. That's what, that's what they said, you know. He liked to show off his thighs and his silk stockings. You know. He thought it looked really, really good in it. So I guess everybody has their vanity. But every, every generation has some kind of fashion designed for them. And... and it didn't just happen by itself. I can see how, how the class system evolves. They want to be different, even talk differently from the people. I noticed too, it was interesting, in Canada and in the States too, the ones who go to university adopt a kind of a, a certain way of talking. It's kind of like that. And, and it's, they think it's a bit posher than the ordinary people at the bottom. So underneath the pretense we're all the same and we're all pulling together as a country and that, the class distinction's always there. It's, it's, you find it in all, all, all areas of life and across the whole planet. So people in the past used to dress differently and they made it illegal at one time in England that when silk became popular, uh, if, if the peasants got even cast off silk, that was torn or whatever inside wearing it like a scarf it was illegal you'd be charged me taking off to prison for impersonating an upper class person by wearing a bit of silk that was in Great Britain you know the land of democracy and freedom so that's that's where folks stood to go and in the 20th century you don't realise that for many the ordinary peasants (laughs) the peasant folk the working classes that really made things work all dressed the same pretty much for, for generations for a, long, a lot of the time uh, because they, they, they didn't have finery and they, 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 they worked they were, they, that's what they saw they did real work you see but uh, it was not the 20th century and, and then into the just before World War II they started to get clothing made, made for teenagers the term teenager was invented by the communists so they, they, to try to drive a wedge between not just the sexes, you see, that the heavens divided, divide, divide, but between generations. So a child now was not a child anymore, he was a teenager, you see, once you hit that teenager, and that, that, that term had never been used before, teenager, you see. And then a whole, a whole fashion was set up for the teenager, and you had jeans, and, and the hippies, of course, came out with their, with their, with their beads and everything, and, and the long hair fad as well. And drugs, naturally, they always give you drugs along with things. So you can't think straight anymore. And then, of course, they, they came into, it was interesting, the, the, the Beatles, you see, came out initially as the, the four young men from Liverpool nonsense. Okay? Like they just happened to be there. A prepackaged, you know, product. And they had, they had uh, again, the star making machinery. Here's a Beatles suit. Uh, but no collar on it. The Brio's haircut, the little fringe haircut thing. And little gimmicks like that. And the winkle picker shoes, of course, the pointy shoes. But eventually, once they got the people hooked on them, 
because it's evidence politicized, you see, and got reason for being there. Uh, once they, they had a following, then they started bringing the long hair ones, and then the anti-Saul, let's fight the system, and, and, uh, there's going to be a revolution, yeah, yeah, etc. and back in the USSR, and things like that. Uh, then you had the protest stuff, then, then you got the dirty jeans, then you got the, you know, things like that. And then after that, you, you had the glam, the glam, the glam rock thing. Rock initially it was anything but glamorous. It was meant to be, it was again a protest in its own way, but it was mainly for the music. And he didn't want to, he didn't care about telling you what to protest. He just wanted to go, yeah, and scream a bit. And so that was successful for a bit. Then they turned it into glam rock, where the guys started to, you weren't quite sure what they were. And they wore silks and everything. And they probably spent more on their hairdos than Fear Fawcett Majors did. Things like that, you see. Uh, and it was meant to be that way. And then they, they put on a, a very effeminate kind of band type thing. I mean, lip come on, makeup and lipstick and all the rest of it. Come on, come on, you know. If you've seen Spinal Tap, it gives you an idea. It's a good comedy. But uh, it, it, it lost its way. So eventually, he came out again with, with the kind of punk. Right? Where he just went on and yelled a lot with, with a, a distortion on your guitar. And that was it. He didn't have to really play much. And, and then you had the, the, the spiked haircuts and all that would come out of it. So that, until they walked around looking like coronaviruses, they would spiked hair everywhere. Uh, so every generation is given something from it, but it didn't happen amongst themselves, by themselves. They think they did at the time. Even the music, they think they did by themselves. No, no, it's all given to them. The rappers have the same thing. Once, once the, the stuff was put out by the machinery that makes stars and so on and tells you what the fad's going to be, uh, and the big boys at the top, it's always the same people. Uh, and they, they gave them suddenly the rap, you see, and, and they, they, I can remember them even interviewing guys at the time. And they, they said, oh yeah, yeah, we don't want to do you. And because it was all given to them by the first ones they put out there. And, uh, and they all follow us, they copy. It's all about copying, you see. That's how we're trained. It's so easy to train us. And every, every group is, is given the things to protest. And the things that they want. Until now you have, again, the Antifa groups. And, and, and France, you had the yellow vests and the color revolutions too, etc., etc. They start with one protest and they end up protesting everything. But they're never sure what. And even that's been quashed too with the COVID thing. Interesting, isn't it? Some of the Hong Kong one as well. All going to get quiet because, oh, you're all going to die. So. What's happening today uh, is a long process of management and, and readying and even practicing, by the way, and making it happen. Because every country in the West, Canada and States, has been doing massive exercises for the last 20 years together on, on emergency powers. And even going into certain areas, you hardly ever see them because they're so quiet about it. They set up command headquarters under emergency powers, if anything happened, if they couldn't help the people, you know, and take over and manage it, again, in a technocratic way. Not a de- techno- technocracy is not democratic, it's the opposite. And and they've had these exercises every year across big parts of Canada and the States, with, with the, both countries involved. Uh, and they're already, again, to do the same thing. And you, you can tie so much into what's happening today, including the militarization of the whole society since 9-11. The, the police in Canada used to have 
uniforms that didn't terrify people, that didn't look like, 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 uh, SS SWAT teams, you know, uh, with all the black outfits and combat boots and, and, and combat pants even, no, it didn't have that kind of stuff. It was done intentionally in the 90s to get you ready for what was to happen in 2001. All in advance, of course it was. They even passed Omnibus Crime Bill in Canada a few years before 9-11 happened. Alan Rock was in charge of it. It was an anti-terrible. Nothing happens by itself spontaneously. It isn't allowed to. So we're trained and trained in every generation, right to the present with a youth brigade that's like the young uh, uh, Communist Party, really. Uh, that's how they've been trained, and they're full of anger and are ready to go against the ones who are older because you ruined it all and you destroyed the planet and the climate and everything else. You see, it's all your fault. They've been brainwashed into being radicalized, and your tax money made them that through the teachers who know darn well what they're teaching. But teachers are prostitutes. They're social engineers, change agents, as has been said in the U.S. by some older folk who are dead now. Charlotte is there being people like that. So we're going through the next phase of it now, into which is mandated austerity. You are going into it. And you have rationing. I said the talk, I gave these talks years ago when they want to bring in rationing. And here you go along with it. And the electronic uh, surveillance on everybody, including your movements, by the way. And they want to give you rationing IDs and all that, build on your cell phones, etc. And Bill Gates is just mentioning this day after day, apparently, that that's what he's pushing forward. You're going to have this before you can travel. You're going to have that. Well, I didn't vote for this creep, did you? Did you? No. Have you ever seen the movie Idiocracy? That's, there's a scene in it where the, the guy is shot into the past, basically he slumbers for centuries, wakes up and into the future. And the world's been run by, by really fools and idiots. And he goes into a hospital, because there's a little problem. And, and he, they don't even ask you what's wrong. They just point to things on like computer screens and like, like he's a knee and you see these little marks coming from the, like it's pain. And so, like, oh yeah, it's not that, no. And he sticks all these different things in different orifices and of course they get them all mixed up because they're, they're not very bright, these people, for temperature and all that. And, and then, uh, he, he was in to see the doctor there who's, who talks like, yeah, yeah, okay, my, yeah, whoa, whoa. And then at the end, he says, pay for all. And he doesn't know how you pay for it. And the, and the daughter says, where's your tattoo, you know? Uh, and he, he says, you don't have a tattoo. And then the doctor freaks out and hits the alarm button. He, no tattoo. That's your, everything comes off that tattoo. It's the very thing that Bill Gates is pushing with his tattoo thing and all that. It's in a movie, Idiocracy. The folk who did the movie obviously knew it was coming, right? that. <laughs> So anyway, yeah, you're prepared in advance for every step of what's to happen. And you will see, um, the longer they can keep this going, the more they'll become more authoritative and keeping folks at home. And you might even get deaths down the road if they keep you in for a long, long period of time and not let you out, except the folk near people will crack up, etc. But don't forget, and this is something I always keep in the back of your minds. Quite a few years back, I remember doing the talks when, when, the military, uh, the National Guard, uh, the, the, even the Forestry Commission, 
and different departments inside the U.S., all different departments, Homeland Security, were getting, were buying billions and billions of rounds, all kinds of caliber rounds for their, for their weaponry, and, and stacks of hollow points, which can only be used internally. It's against the Geneva Convention to use hollow points in warfare against soldiers. They use the full metal jacket types for the soldiers. The hollow points are meant to create maximum impact and possible death. That's what they're designed for. And they'll hit and, and expand uh, and create a bigger hole, more disruption, more shock, etc. And so they're only allowed to be used on your on your own populations because the UN has decreed it's against the the, all the the treaties, the arms treaties to use it in combat against foreign troops. And the, there was a big kerfuffle at the time. But what on earth are they buying all this for? I mean, for goodness sake here. Well, if things were to drag out a long, long time and they get more and more authoritative, and it's supposed to go that way, remember, and folks start cracking up, and eventually a lot of them can't get the food that they need, or anything else that they need, perhaps. Then laws are broken and yada, yada, yada. Who knows? But they're certainly prepared for the worst if it ever came to that. You understand? They certainly are prepared for the worst. And they've got all these treaties with Canada and the States, so no doubt at all, under the right conditions, they actually send an old NAFTA deal. Now it's the, it's the USMCA one, I think they call it. Um, the, the, the States is company, the, the aid of Canada too, if need be. And even vice versa, including Mexico too, mind you. So uh, you could look at all these things that are happening today if they want to push it and push it and push it. And they're testing with the latest gear, constantly testing us all in real time, as I've said before, as they float the ideas from Bill Gates and etc. And within 10 minutes with the chit-chat on the net and the cell phones, they know exactly uh, how far to push something or draw back a little bit on any particular point or topic. Because uh, uh, they put out trial balloons all the time, you see. That's how, how perfectly things are managed today, I hope you understand that. But if you notice, at the moment, they're getting you trained that there's no input from the general public at all. You don't count. I hope you understand this, because you're living through precedence. Think things that never happened in World War I or World War II, or the, in the entire Cold War, when you're supposed to all get blown to bits with atomic weaponry. None of this happened. And half the planet is locked down under martial law now. Never happened before. Never, ever happened. In some countries, you had, you had curfews at night. Totalitarian countries. But here you have people locked down permanently, forbidden to work. You better start thinking about these things and how you're accepting it so easily. You see, the, the psychic driving of repetition, repetition, oh my God, look what's happening in China, oh my God, look, 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 has done wonders to, to, to decimate people's common sense. And you've got to understand something right now. History's full of people rebelling and even having a revolution to try to get rights and freedoms from those that deemed themselves superior, they, who believed they had the right to rule people. It took centuries to get rights for the people. And you're watching it all go down the tubes voluntarily under the guise of the big psychic terror drive you're watching day after day after day. And you'll never get those rights back once you give them up. 
Now let's just start with, I'll put this up tonight too, the actual plan. Event 201 that outlined it, uh, and again, the Rockefeller one as well, which happened in 2010. This one happened one month before it supposedly broke out in China. Event 201. And a call to action. Uh, it's a PDF, you can download it yourself, but it says the next severe pandemic will not only cause great illness and loss of life, but could also trigger major cascading economic and societal consequences that could contribute greatly to global impact and suffering. And then they go into how they have to get public-private partnerships. Uh, we're, basically what we're talking about is how the, the, the private sector, the top big, big corporations, will be part of the rulership for for managing the general public, basically. It says the Event 201 pandemic exercise conducted October 18th, 2019. Isn't that amazing? It's halfway through October pretty well. And nothing broke out in, in November in China, we're told. It might be even earlier for all we know. Vividly demonstrated a number of these important gaps in pandemic preparedness as well as some of the elements of the solutions between the public and private sectors that would be needed to fill them. The Johns Hopkins Center for Health Security World Economic Forum as well. So there you go, your World Economic Forum again, all the biggies that you don't, that you won't vote for. And Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation jointly proposed the following. Governments, international organizations, I guess what they'll be again. And businesses should plan now for how essential corporate capabilities will be utilized during a large scale pandemic. They go through the whole plan basically. Industry, national governments, international organizations should work together. So there's the end of your democracy, right? National governments and international organizations hmm? uh, should work together to enhance internationally held stockpiles of medical countermeasures to enable rapid and equitable distribution during a severe pandemic. Then they bring the World Health Organization. And the World Health Organization has been <laughs> a communist front for its inception, actually. Uh, it's kind of comical as well, because the Rockefeller Foundation set up the Department of Population. It used to be called Population Control, just across the, the corridor right from the World Health Organization place. So it's, it all works together. And you understand what it means sometimes by world health. I mean, perhaps bringing down the population comes into the healthy population part. And some things that Mr. Gates mentioned before um, kind of ties into that as well, perhaps. A healthy population, maybe a smaller one, but a healthier one, you know. Anyway, this is currently um, has an, an influenza vaccine virtual stockpile. WHO with con tracks in place with pharmaceutical companies, the big corporate, you know, <laughs> the fascism, here it goes. Uh, and uh, the agreed to supply vaccines should WHO request them, etc., etc. And then they go into all the nitty-gritty bit stuff too, not, not in great detail in this particular one, but you can go into the whole PDF and, and look it up for yourselves. If you're, it's really interesting. And the videos are up there too, uh, of I think it's a five-part series often discussing how they'll manage the general public and the laws of they bring in to make the public obey them and all that kind of stuff, you know. Interesting. The Naval War College ran a pandemic war game in 2019. That was coincidence too, though, right? The conclusions were eerie. It says an infectious disease 
breaks out in a densely populated metropolis and is spreading rapidly, causing respiratory failure and death in its victims. As local containment response mechanisms break down, the cases multiply, it becomes clear that a global response spanning governments, humanitarian organizations, health agencies and the military will be required. That scenario is not a condensed narrative of the COVID-19 pandemic that currently has much of the global lockdown. Rather, it's the premise of a war game run last September by the Naval War College in Newport, Rhode Island, and its findings, which are, I'll put a link up to, released in summary format Wednesday, reveal prescient and sometimes troubling parallels to the real-world response effort that continues today. But that's just coincidence, folks. It's coincidental. This is called Urban Outbreak 2019. The war game involved 50 experts who spent, probably the same bunch again, it was at, with at Johns Hopkins, who spent two days uh, coordinating response, containment and messaging efforts around the national pandemic. Some of the conclusions, such as the way forced mass quarantine can backfire, see forced mass quarantine, and trigger additional disease spread and how the mortality rate is better than the overall number of disease cases in assessing the scale of an outbreak has been proved out through the response to the novel coronavirus. It goes on and on and on. And if you want to read through it, you can read this. It's not a bad little article, mind you, but it gives you an idea of what goes on uh, in preparation for the, the thing that supposedly is a real thing. And also put down this one here, up this one here, it's COVID Action Plan. And it says here, um, the Global Future Council I guess that's the name of the organization. As the International Organization for Public-Private Cooperation, the World Economic Forum, acting as partner to the World Health Organization, is mobilizing all stakeholders to protect lives and livelihoods. Well, if you look at the characters that make up the WEF, you know, World Economic Forum, it's a massive, it isn't just a week, an, 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 you always hear a meeting, it's not an annual meeting. It's a massive organization with permanent uh, buildings, uh, massive civil service running it. They, 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 they sponsor, it's a big massive foundation that trains future leaders across the planet for their own, uh, their own particular agenda. And we realize that too, to make sure there's no, there'll never be anything called democracy. And, uh, of course, the, the, the WEF is just the few, backwards is for the few, you understand. Anyway, it says here, the dramatic spread of COVID-19 has disrupted lives, livelihoods, communities. They're very clever. That's what they can tell you, but you obviously know. And uh, all stakeholders, especially global business, must urgently come together to minimize its impact on public health and limit its potential for further disruption to lives and economies around the world. And then they put they go into the, their country, our contribution. This is the spread of COVID demands global cooperation amid governments, international organizations, and the business. You've already said that, for you to say. The multi-stakeholder cooperation is at the center of the WEF mission as the International Organization for Public-Private Cooperation. So they've decided themselves with the organization that's going to manage the public and private businesses, etc. That's very democratic of them too, isn't it? And it says here, they're going to galvanize the global business community for collective action, protect people's livelihoods. Ha, <laughs> that's a good one. <laughs> uh, and facilitate business continuity. What a joke that is, eh? Mobilize cooperation and business support for COVID-19 response. And then uh, they give you a summary and all that. You can, you can download it for yourselves and all that kind of thing.
and you can embed the special COVID-19 transformation map. This is the age member of, of, of change. This is the century of change, as they call it. The transformation, hey. Everything's transforming, supposedly. Uh, on your internet or website, enabling your employees or stakeholders one-click access to the latest strategic trends, research, analysis, and data. There you are. So, aren't you glad that these unelected organizations are there all working on this before it even started, eh? It's just constants. Article 2, it says here that the normal economy is never coming back. Just to make you happy again, that one. This says here, as the coronavirus lockdown began, the first impulse was to search for historical analogies. 1914, 1929, 1941 is the weeks that have ground on what has come ever more to the fore is the historical novelty of the shock that we are living through. Well, this is shock and all, you see. Yes, there's a joke about shock and all too, but I won't go into that right now. But it's shock and all. And that's what they're doing. Psychic driving. Oh my God. Oh, look at that. Oh, shock, shock, shock. So we're living through all. As a result of the coronavirus pandemic, America's economy is now widely expected to shrink by a quarter. Well, forget, it's a little more than a quarter. That's as much as during the Great Depression. They're all happy about that. But whereas the contraction after 1929 stretched over a four-year period, the coronavirus implosion will happen over the next three months. There's never been a crash landing like this before. There's something new under the sun, and it's horrifying. And then they go into it and all that. But the thing is, they, they don't plan on, on getting over a Great Depression. This is permanent. It's a whole new way of living. This is what they're on about here. And, the, and it's like glee, as I say, that, that, um, that woman at the Club of Rome. It's, 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 it's an ecstasy over it all. Yeah, and no doubt the money is getting thrown her way as well. Yeah, this goes into it as well. I'll never be the same again to get used to the idea. The whole agenda, sustainable goals, right? Have to be, have to be fulfilled. It's beautiful. I'd never let this go. No. And planned or not, you take your pick what you want to believe, but the fact is they're, they're not, they're in glee and ecstasy over the whole thing. They're, they're open, quite open about it. Over the past few days, reading about the major plans for what comes after social distancing, you can read them here. It says, uh, there's one from the, the right-leaning American Enterprise Institute, the, the left-leaning Center for American Progress, and Harvey's University uh, Super Center for Ethics, and Nobel Prize-winning economist Paul Romer. And this person said that, he thought naively, that reading them would be a, a comfort, at least then I'd be able to uh, imagine the path back to normal, but it wasn't. In different ways, all these plans say the same thing. Even if you can imagine the Herculean political, social and economic change necessary to manage our way through this crisis effectively, there is no normal for the foreseeable future. And, and he was, until there's a vaccine, that's what you've been told, you see. The United States either needs economically ruinous levels of social distancing, a digital surveillance state of shocking size and scope, or a mass testing apparatus of even more shocking size and intrusiveness. That's what they're telling you. And then these goes into the different bodies that are uh, all working together. And they feature a number of national lockdowns in which extreme social distancing is deployed to flatten the curve, as they call this nonsense, you see. And health and testing capacity is, is surged to raise the line. And that's phase one. Phase two triggers after a set period for five days to, uh, for CAP, three months for Harvard, and uh, on the AEI plan, after 14 days of falling cases and a sense of health supply markers, 
and so on. But the whole point is, um, they go through the process they're using here, and it's, 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 it's a whole new way of governing, basically, with all these different checkpoints that you must get to before you can get to the next level, next level. And that's what it's all about, you see? And the scientists are going to rule your lives, folks, because they know better with all their models that they make, you know, these computer models you know, with, with scary scenarios, right? scary scenarios. Isn't that what they said with all the meetings for, of the groups that were, and I've got, I read them all for years, every year I used to read them on the air, the scary scenarios, that's what they called them themselves from the, the different organizations for sustainability and depopulation. And sustainable development goals is to give the folks scary scenarios about the climate, or they wouldn't believe you in, uh, otherwise. So they terrify the public and tell them terrible scary scenarios. Well, this is what they do, you know. And uh, and they've got all the authority to do it. That's why they get so much airtime. Also, the Fed asked for BlackRock's help in an echo of 2008. BlackRock advised the Federal Reserve in the purchase of billions of dollars in bonds and securities, and the terms of the agreement were not disclosed. It says the Federal Reserve has turned again. See, that's what they helped bail them out the last time, supposedly. The Federal Reserve, by the way, um, has become the bank to the world. They, they lend out to all the countries, but they bailed all the other countries out, including Canada. Uh, the last big crash we had. And BlackRock apparently is the big con job that, that bails them out, supposedly. However, the, the Federal Reserve is, is a private, maybe maybe in foreign-owned group of banks. And uh, BlackRock is an interesting one as well. So the nation's central banks that tap BlackRock, the world's largest asset manager, to help oversee the Fed's efforts to stabilize the bond market amid economic turmoil caused by the coronavirus pandemic. A BlackRock subsidiary will advise the Fed on the purchase of billions of dollars in commercial mortgage-backed securities and investment-grade corporate bonds. Sound familiar? It's the same repeat scenario of 2007 and 8. A decision that echoed a move from the 2008 financial crisis. It's interesting when you really dig into who they are, though. You you just keep falling over and having a good laugh to yourself with the names that pop up. They're all so familiar, you know. Yeah, it really is. It's amazing. This is that the last time, at the time, the last time that arrangement prompted criticism for lawmakers and others who worried about coziness between Wall Street and Washington, as well as the potential for conflicts of interest, because, my God, there's really some amazing conflicts involved in all of this. But then there always has been, really, with the Federal Reserve. Dennis Kelleher is the president of Better Markets, a non-profit group that supports stringent financial regulation. The Fed needs to guarantee there's full transparency. What a joke. So they've already got it set up. They're, they're pretended uh, watchdog, etc. BlackRock's advisory business is separate from its asset management business, which generates most of the firm's revenue. Besides working with the Fed during the 2008 crisis, the advisory division has done work for the British Treasury, the Swiss National Bank, the European Central Bank, and the government of Greece. Oh, they can really floor you, can't they? Poor old Greece and Italy too, for that matter. And uh, says New York Fed said in a statement that it selected BlackRock on a short-term basis because of its ex- expertise in the market for commercial mortgage-backed securities, which are backed by government-sponsored mortgage finance firms Fannie Mae, Freddie Mac, and Ginnie Mae. I tell ya. 
Uh, that's quite interesting too for those who are, they want to go into the cons that, that go on in the world and, the, and really the, the, the legalized crooks. I can't legalize crooks because they, they're on the, the, the law systems too, obviously. Uh, everything's corrupt today. Uh, wherever you look, it's incredibly corrupt. Banks make billions on small business bailouts as part of the $2 trillion fiscal stimulus package that was signed into law by Donald Trump. Friday, the Small Business Administration will offer $350 billion in loans to U.S. small businesses meant to preserve business solvency as part of the emergency federal response to the, the pandemic. The loans part of the so-called Paycheck Protection Program will be offered through banks and credit unions to cash-strap business who are employing under 500 people. It's not clear how a company employing 500 people is a small business, but we can assume that this is just a, ste- a stealthy bailout of some not-so-small businesses. And that's really what it really is. It's the big, big boys are getting bailed out. Uh, Boroughs will need to fill out a two-page form and document uh, that they were in business as of mid-February. Lenders will not need to wait for SBA confirmations before providing cash in hand. As I according to the SBA, there are 30 million businesses with fewer than 500 employees in the U.S., employing 60 million people, almost half of the private workforce. Mm-mm-mm. Some will be shocked to learn, maybe they will or won't, to learn that like any government bailout package, the biggest winners here will not be America's vibrant small and medium business sector, which at best will get the bare minimum cash to to fund 2.5 months of payroll. This assumes that the pandemic will be resolved by mid-June, but uh, drum-rolled America's banks, the big boys are getting all the cash as always, you know, that's how things are always working. And why it's no longer acceptable to be with cash, the Australians are urged to ditch disease-spreading notes as experts again. Here's his experts, eh? I wonder that school is with the turn of experts. It's a strange priesthood. I've heard about perverts, but I don't know about experts. As the experts admit coronavirus could kill physical money for good. They're trying to make sure, try, try to convince the public just to stop using it. So put, rather than ban it, they're trying to just get you to give it up, you see. And the big boys, too, have been putting out this stuff for years in Canada, but off the end of, of cash, must get the folk off it into electronic stuff. Then you can get really managed. Is it the Bertrand, a la Bertrand Russell, eh? The, the government will give you put everything, and they have total control into your bank account, and they'll stop you if you've been bad and, and asbo, as they call it, and a social behavior disorder by saying that this is not the best country in the world. They'd, oh, that's it, you'll be fined immediately for you can't pay your rent. So if you, if you had some cash there, at least you, you'd pay cash, couldn't you? Hmm. See, I keep saying, if when your choices are gradually taken away or narrowed down until there's none at all, then you're really under tyranny. In all, all areas, folks. Australians are being urged to ditch bank notes. Anyway, some retail stores are already turning away customers who use notes in desperate attempts to combat rapid growth of the virus. Well, who's bringing all this stuff you when you buy into their stores and, and touching it all? Right? Get off it. Get off it. That's all been touched as well. Absolute rubbish. And then you've got um, this one here on Spain is moving to implement a permanent basic income, naturally, as a measure to help workers and families battered by the coronavirus pandemic. Again, the Club of Rome is pushing this, this universal basic. They mean universal, meaning worldwide. That's what they want. This is for global government, I hope you understand, eh? 
and a universal basically. So all get the all our, our funds like Ali Burton Russell into bank accounts. They were pushing that before it happened, remember? And again, the World Economic Forum that we don't elect was making all these statements at the time. Oh, well, you know, if they start just paying folk to stay at home before any viruses. It's all constant, so isn't it? It really is. Has to be. What else could it be? A conspiracy theorist. I guess with their imaginings about it and being right that this would come and, and they could push it then, I guess they were really the conspiracy theorists, eh? They were pushing their own conspiracies and making their own conspiracies happen. Nadia Calvino, the country's minister for economic affairs, told the Spanish broadcaster La Sexta on Sunday evening that the government was planning to introduce the cash handouts as part of a barrage of policies meant to help people get back on their feet. Well, why? You can't walk anywhere and you're not allowed to. But this is the kind of stuff we're living through, isn't it, eh? And you really believe something's for nothing, eh? And your kicks for free? Mm. Money's not for nothing, folks. There's always... Even loans by the big banks to other countries and, and the World Bank. It comes with all these different social policies you must introduce in your country and cultural changes and, you know, all that kind of stuff. Coronavirus West Australia... New 91 million policing package. I, I put a little clip on to YouTube. I think it's on YouTube. Or it's from a, no, it's from a, a newspaper in Australia. But you see a little clip there. It says new 91 million policing package will include electronic surveillance. That's how they're going to fight the virus, you see, by, by studying it. Working through you. <laughs> it's, it's amazing. It says the risk, so the government's announced a 91 million dollar Police package. This is just uh, Western Australia, government. And the massive investment was announced by Premier Mark McGowan on a Wednesday afternoon. And a woman came on who was ahead of something to do with this. I'm not quite, I thought she was McGowan, but I guess not. Well, who knows? And, uh, and, and I'm not kidding you. She starts off by saying how much they'd saved before the, she tells you what they're spending on, you see. And I had a friend who used to talk, joke about his mum, who would come home with all these packages, and 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 you know, they used to have these from the better class shops. Uh, you get these; uh, they, were, they were kind of kind of cardboard type, not car- quite cardboard, but heavy duty paper uh, bags, and they put the stuff in the bags, you see, and there were nice pictures and that, and little prints on them and all that. Uh, but she'd come, she'd come home with the stacks of this stuff on a spending spree. And she'd always say that, right? Because they got it from the magazines, what to tell their husbands and so on. So his mum used, used to come home and as soon as, as soon as the husband appears, you wouldn't believe what I saved today, you see. That's, that was, <laughs> this is exactly what this woman said in Australia with a $91 million policing package. And you have to really hear this stuff, you know. You can actually see them just all oh, smiling, just like that. Oh my God! You can tell a lot of money is going to help uh, <clears throat> a lot of people here. Of that total, seventy-three million uh, will immediately be invested in to strengthen West Australia's police force, including the recruitment of one hundred and fifty new police officers. Eh? Seventy-three million eh? dollars to, to help recruit one hundred and fifty new police officers. What are they paying them? Well, it's not for their pay, obviously, right? That's what I'm saying. I, I should laugh when can, but, but, uh, but, but put up millions, like, like 12, 15 million 
to give maybe 10 students window washers jobs for the summer. Where did the rest of the money go? I mean, this is what government does, eh? There's 73 million for 150 new police officers. That's really what they need in these times, right? McGowan said the injection of new officers into the force would help keep the numbers up if police officers were forced to self-isolate because of COVID-19. Really? So the fast-tracking of 135 existing recruits would allow new officers to go into support roles, freeing up the other ones who could then go into the front line. In addition to a total of 285 new police officers, the Western Australian government is investing in forms of electronic surveillance to ensure people are not breaking quarantine rules or unlawfully trying to breach infrastate borders or crossing over the state borders inside Australia. And so plate recognition cameras that are able to instantly read number plates will be installed at border checkpoints across the state. The police will also acquire 200, 200, listen to this, 200 GPS-enabled ankle bracelets to track people who may be breaching orders to quarantine or self-isolate at home. We look at these 200 GPS, the little thing, you look at them up online. Some of them you can get for as cheap as seven bucks. I'm not kidding you. But they're going to spend about three million, I think it's three million for these 200 GPS ankle bracelets. You can't believe I'm living. I see. I'm living in a time. I mentioned earlier. I was brought up in austerity in Britain. You see, I mean real austerity too. It wasn't. It was the middle class. Never mind the steer times. So my idea of money is, is and what a normal income today is, is so incredibly low compared to most folk today. They think nothing of you know thousands of bucks here and thousands of bucks there. So I, I get kind of shocked, but, uh, you know, but there you go. Anyway, it says there are currently 30 regional road checkpoints across Western Australia. This is, this is, this is, this is like, again, this is like the Stasi, isn't it? And checkpoints, and this is like the Soviet Union used to be too. There are checkpoints everywhere and streets at times, you know, for no reasons. And, and the money, the, the millions are spending just, just for make work programs for the cops, eh? So, so it's, um, since April the 9th, when the state was carved up into nine separate zones, there you go, that's what they do in totalitarian states, they put in these zones. 106,029 people have pulled up at border checkpoints. Of those, 104,760 have met the exemption criteria, but 13, well, 1,313 have been refused in order to turn around a total of 1%. Perhaps will you worth it, eh? Well... Key was, eh? There you go. Thirteen, thirteen have been refused. Interesting. McGowan praised West Australians' high level of compliance. Again, love that under more times than that, you got to comply and, 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 and do your own. But reminded people that going for a drive down south or up to Lansillan was no longer allowed over the Easter break. It wasn't allowed. See, even the wording in it, it's no longer allowed. Over the Easter break, children. Only essential travel is permitted and traveling outside your regional area is not permitted, he said. The Easter is going to be like none other. It'll be very different, no kidding. Mm. I tell you. <laughs> 